Come on, come on, join me. Teresa, you can join us. You go first. Okay, so we're going to start this. I want you to look for what's different. Okay, so people yeah, get right here. You don't want me to hit this. Yeah, but this is not real hard. Okay, so this is just your normal swing and uh, let's say just fastball, but you're taking a pitch. Okay, what would be your normal? So right now, don't swing. Just take your strike. Okay, next time, okay, get back. Uh, this time you are swinging. It is fastball. Unfortunately, you miss it. But just take the normal swing. Okay, now next time, um, this is breaking pitch, but you're more out in front of it. So go ahead, but you're not swinging. Okay, so what what have you noticed? Just real quick. Well, width and stance uh, shows your normal stride. So watch his head and watch his eyes. Okay, what about two strides? Okay, so the more balanced you are and the less your head moves, the better chance you're going to have to hit the ball. And with two strikes, you just want to make good contact. So thanks for doing this. Uh, Reese and I are going to play catch just for a second. So I want you to look at me and just watch. There's going to be a couple things different. And hopefully you won't miss it. Okay, now. So what was different? What's that? What was different? Leg? What else? Here's the first couple were like this. What did you notice there? The second was this. Knee, arm. The more your arm is across your body this way, especially as a pitcher, the more your whole body sends the pitch. Whereas if we're just playing catch, and if I'm throwing like this, there's not much body into it. So if you see a pitcher throwing outside a lot, that means typically his front shoulder is opening up a lot sooner, and the ball is typically going to go outside. So another thing, when you're playing catch, watch my feet. Okay, now watch my feet. What's the difference? What did you notice? What do you notice right there? And what do you notice right here? See, there's a look, there's just a little thing there, but a good fielder will have his glove side leg in front more often than not because it allows you to have your momentum going towards, and you get rid of it less time. The other thing, thank you, Reese. The other thing, when you're running a long distance for a ball, you run like you're a sprinter with your glove in close to your body. And then guess when you stretch out to catch the ball? The last second possible. 
Because you can't run, this is really funny when you see little kids like this, you can't run like this. It has to be this way. And then we still need the ball. And then if you want the ball really to carry, typically you would hold the ball like this. You see the space at the front? If you really want it to carry, especially as an outfielder, this is all you do. You slide your thumb under farther, and it gets a lot more spin when it comes out of your hand, and it just travels farther. Those are just little things. And then the last thing, as a fielder, your challenge is to be ready for every pitch. So if your feet, and you know this, this is not an athletic position, when your feet are flat foot. When you're flat footed, it's not athletic. After every pitch, you should see a good fielder getting ready, and then right as the pitch is coming, they're on the balls of their feet, especially infielders. But I watch outfielders specifically to see if they do that. As an outfielder, you can get really good at seeing the pitch, the breaking pitch, they're probably going to pull it, and so you can actually be on the move before the guy even hits it. And that's when you make great plays, because you get great jumps on the ball. So here's the question I have for you, and I want you to talk about it just for like a minute. What are the two or three things that you consistently do as an athlete, consistently, you know, the basic things consistently, day-to-day -day basis, so that you will be more proficient at something in your sport. So the two or three things that you just, you, you just gotta do these things. So go ahead and talk about that for a second. Okay, somebody else, go. Yeah. 
review the playbook, like, how much do you think that happens during the week? <laughs> what else? Okay, guys, how many times do you think you swing the bat in one day when you come down here? 300 times a day. You can multiply that, even on your off day, I know you guys come down here. So you times that by seven, and they say it takes 10,000 times to make a habit. Okay, that's, that's a lot of times. So here's, here's where I'm going with this. Typically in the, the Hebrew culture, it's not so much that you're trying to learn the newer and best thing. You're trying to repeat the really basic things so that you really get it. And you think about as an athlete, how many times do you just go over the same thing? Over and over, so you don't have to think about it. Especially feel hot. I have no idea how to down that low for that long. And you only need one side of the stick. I have no idea. And Sydney, I talked to Sydney about rowing one time. And there's just so many unique facets about, and then when I'm at wrestling practice, that's just a whole other world. I, I, I have no idea what you guys do. But I know you do it a lot. Well, here's the thing. If you're constantly thinking, I've got, a, I've got the new information, I just need more information, you're probably going to miss a lot. Because from God's heart, He's saying He wants us to really get what He's really trying to communicate. He really wants us to get it. And when, he, when Jesus said, he has ears to hear, let him hear, the word hear means to actually follow through. It actually means obey. To listen and obey. So where we're we going tonight, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 for a few verses. Uh, baseball guys and I over on Sunday, so it's a little review. There's two ways you can look at life. One is theology from above, so you're trying to get God's perspective and it's allowed to shed light on your life, or theology from below is it's coming from you and you're trying to figure out everything from you up. And yes, when there's doubt or benefit of the, of the doubt, who do you think should get the benefit of the, of the doubt of things? <clears throat> well, obviously God he kind of knows everything. So theology from above is trying to understand his perspective and how we fit into his perspective, his world, his life. But if you're trying to come up from life from your perspective, uh, it's going to be warped so much. So much. And so from God's perspective, he wants to enter into where you are so that you understand where he's coming from. So the book of Ephesians, Scott, we've been read for the first couple of verses. Ephesians was written to a group of people, and Paul was just, he was laying it out. He was laying it out. And if there's anything that you want to have repeating in your head and heart, it's Ephesians chapter 1. I mean, you talk about two or three hundred swings a day. This needs to be going through us constantly. Constantly. And the perspective was the people in the culture believed in a lot of different kind of gods. We call them false gods or pagan gods. 
And the way it works is this. So Artemis was the moon god. And if you want Artemis to work on your behalf, you try to figure out, how can I manipulate him to kind of get him to work for me? Well, I need to, I need to jump through this hoop. Uh, child sacrifice was very common way back when. And so they figured, well, if we sacrifice a child, then maybe the gods will really listen to us and come through. So there's this manipulation. You're never sure. They're very fickle. They're unstable, uncertain. You just don't know. So that's the call, That's the context in which he's writing. So when you want to understand scripture, you want to understand the context. So one of the questions you're asking, and I didn't do this well a number of years when I was here, uh, but then I finally figured it out. You don't ask the question. So in our baseball group, uh, myself and Nick Rivers leading should not ask the question, what does this verse mean to you? That's not a good question. We want to ask, what did the author mean by writing this? That's what we really want to know. Now the question, how does this apply to you? That's a really good question. So we want to know, what did the author mean by writing this? So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a few of the verses, and then I'll have a couple of questions for you at the end, and then we'll just break up just for a few minutes and see kind of how this works together. So as we mentioned again with the baseball guys, if you want to hear God's word, you just open it and you start reading it, and that's God's word. He's going to be speaking to you. So Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, apostle means to be set apart. Of Christ Jesus, it was God's will. Paul didn't figure this out. He just didn't decide I'm going to be an apostle. Just as we don't really figure out, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to believe in God. God's working ahead of time to make that happen. To the saints, the word saint, basically, it's kind of a set apart, holy ones. If you believe in Christ, actually, you're called a saint. You might not feel like it. But you are. To the saints who are in Ephesus, this area, the faithful in Christ Jesus, when God's working in your life, He's going to, by His power, cause your heart to want to pursue Him, like to move towards Him. He's going to do that, and He's not going to give up. He's not going to let up until we go to be with Him. Grace to you and peace. Grace is this amazing thing that God gives you. You can't give it yourself. He gives it to you. And the peace means that a relational connection with God now is good. Whereas before it wasn't. So grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, God the Father, Christ, and the Holy Spirit will be mentioned a little bit later. So that's the Trinity right there. Okay, Scott, let's go to this. A blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless is speaking well. So is it, for those who know Christ, it's going to be easy for you to speak well of God. Speak well of God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So because of what Christ has done, He's poured into you, and He's going to give you everything, everything you need 
in this life right now. Everything. You don't have to question, will you be able to live in this life? Even if you experience really hard things, he's going to give you everything. And it's not just when you die, you're going to be with him in heaven. It's no, it's now he wants to work. Jesus often said the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's now. So, remember, the false gods that people worship, they were really difficult for one that weren't real. They were really fickle. And people were not sure if they were going to come through. I mean, think about this. I'm, I'm just going to ask, how many of you are superstitious in some ways? I, I would. And the question, okay, why? Why are we? I raised my hand too. But why are we? I remember, especially putting my uniforms on, football, basketball, baseball, I had to put things on a certain way. Do, do, do some of you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's got to be the right sock first, the left one. The pants have to be just right. And then you're thinking, well, yesterday, you had a really good game. Now, what shirt did I wear? You know, did I wash that? I hope I didn't wash that. You want everything to be the same, and so you're trying to set up the pieces so that you get the best favorable results. Well, fickle gods don't choose you. They don't choose you. You're actually trying to work to get them to accept you with all your heart. So for him to say he chose us is like unbelievable. In him before the foundation of the world. This wasn't just a fly-by-night decision by God. This was something that he actually thought about. That we should be holy and blameless. That's just saying, how many of you feel like you still deal, deal with sin in your life? Everybody. Do we feel holy? Not a lot. But before God, because of Christ... We are presented as holy. It's like you've never sinned. And the word blameless means that the guilt is not going to be crushing you. Like God's going to take care of the guilt so that you don't have to walk around feeling all this shame. Like these chains of shame just pulling you down. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then in love, this is, I love this part of the heart of God. He predestined. Don't get caught up on this word. Don't let that freak you out. So you might be saying, well, don't say, if God predestined me to come to God, does that mean he predestined something not to come to God? Remember, the people didn't think God would accept them. And Paul's just saying, this God is different from the false gods. So much in scripture, God is showing he's different than what the people worship. So this God chose people ahead of time and adopted them into his family. Okay, he thought about them. Don't get hung up on, well, what does this predestination stuff mean? Hey, if you're helpless out in the woods and you don't know where you are and somebody comes along and offers you a ride, do you think you're going to bicker and fight over what kind of vehicle they're driving? Probably not. The point is, you've got to be kidding me that God would think of me like this. 
You've got to be kidding yourself that he would be thinking of you like this. So instead of, well, how does this work? It's more of like, God, thank you. Like, thank you for adoption to himself. When it says sons, it means sons and daughters. Through Christ, according to the purpose of the will. It's God's will that people would come to know him and be adopted into his family so that they would feel the security and know forever and ever and ever that he's not leaving them. It's not really the next one. The praise of his glorious grace is basically saying, you get to speak well about what God has done for you. He's blessed us in the beloved, in Christ. It always comes back to in him, in him. Redemption through his blood means, uh, it's a, redemption is a, the price paid for something. So Christ's blood is paid on your behalf. It's fascinating. Of all the years that sacrifices were made in the temples, in the temple, it was perpetual sacrifices were made at 9 o'clock a.m. and 3 o'clock. The time was started at 6 a.m., so if it says it was the third hour, it means it's 9 o'clock. This went on, when Jesus rolls into Jerusalem for that Passover, and he was crucified, Mark says that he was placed on the cross because at 9 o'clock normally, there would be a priest that would stand on the right corner of the temple. When I was in Israel, I saw where that was. It's called the pinnacle. He would blow this horn called the chauffeur to let people know that they're about to slaughter a lamb. So the priest would blow the horn. The priest down by the temple, we have the lamb with the knife. And as soon as the horn would stop, he would slit the throat of the lamb and the blood of the lamb would be poured out to cover people's sins. Well, when Jesus was put on the cross and the form was being blown, guess what time he was actually put on the cross? 9 a.m. That's not coincidence. He, he suffered for three hours and then it became dark from 12 to 3. And then at 3 o'clock, six hours, the time for the second offering. The horn is blown. The priest is ready to cut the lamb's neck. Jesus says it's finished. And at 3 p.m., it's not coincidence, it says he gave up his spirit. So all those sacrifices for all those years were pointing to this is the lamb. You don't have to look anyplace else. And now your sins can be totally forgiven. Holy the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Unbelievable to think. So, they're thinking of this when they're reading this. Yeah, I heard about that. That's what happened. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. He's not just throwing you out a little bit and saying, hey, I hope this lasts you for the next 40 years. Which He lavished upon us He's pouring it. He's pouring it, and he's not going to stop pouring on his grace. Wisdom and insight making known to mystery. Um, it is a mystery. Why would he do that? According to which he set forth in Christ, I don't really know. Next one, Scott, and then we'll break up into small groups. The fullness of time came. In him we have attained an inheritance. 
So if you're adopted, you get an inheritance coming. Predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Remember on Sunday we talked about, I think it was maybe Tanner, maybe mentioned about all things work together, Romans 8, 28. God's going to work it out. You might not be sure of how. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory. And last one, Scott. In Him you also would have heard the word of truth. So you've got to hear God's word. And then the gospel starts making sense. Like, oh man, I'm sinful. I need Christ. He's the only one I can believe in. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's a down payment. It's a down payment saying, you have this. You're guaranteed you're going to get the rest of it later. Until we acquire possession of it to praise the story. That's why we need this over and over and over. You don't need to learn a lot of new information. You need to have this stuck in. You read this before you go to bed at night, there's probably going to be a smile that starts coming on your face. So, here's what I'd like for us to do just in the last few minutes. And we'll break up into small little groups. There's three questions. And Scott's going to put those up here. What did you need to hear from God's word tonight? It's not my word. It's, it's what did you need to hear from God's word tonight? What seemed, what did seem to stand out to you like, oh, that seemed to hit my heart. Second is how could embracing more consistently some of the truths from this passage impact you? Uh, adoption is a big one. Like, oh, man, you really love that. That might be something. And then, if God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are really like this, I mean, if this is really true, how do you feel when thinking about surrendering yourself to Him more consistently on a daily basis? It's basically, if God's really like this, and if that Lamb of God was at 3 o'clock, I mean, at the 9 a.m. and the 3 p.m., and He really did die for me, then this surrendering is more of a willingness like this to God, more of a willing daily surrender. How might that look to me? And then also in light of your future. Can you really trust a God like this? Can you really trust him? So just, just process this for a few minutes and then we'll just wrap up. Okay?